yesterday when I watched the whole presentation, I, I was literally crying like a baby. And what really got me, I think, was had Tammy not talked to Pat. And I looked at all those kids, and I'm thinking, wow, what a difference one person can make. What a difference you can make. Because salvation came to their house. And it changed, it changed the world. You know, and, and every person in here is really a, a world changer. You may not feel like one. You may not see the fruit of what you've done and maybe just speaking uh, about Christ to someone, but it, it really does have an effect on people. It changes their lives. And you know, Jesus Christ is the great world changer, isn't he not? I mean, he changes lives every single day. It's really interesting as we, uh, we're studying through the book of Genesis and we just kind of stay on track and work our way through that book and we come to the fourth chapter today and uh, you kind of look at the story of Cain and Abel and you think, well, what does that have to do with Mother's Day? And if you know anything about the story of Cain and Abel, I, I'm still a little bit messed up from uh, a TV show called All in the Family when Archie Bunker was trying to explain to his son-in-law that he didn't like, who he affectionately referred to as Meathead. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, Meathead, you just don't know anything about the Bible. He said, you know that story in the Bible where, where, uh, where Abel uh, hit his brother in the back of the head with a cane and killed him. And once that gets in your head, it's hard to get it out of your head because you're trying to get all the story right, you know, and, and getting stories are wrong sometimes, and, and God wants to do it. I had a, a friend of our son's who he would come to church about once a year, and, but he was an expert on the Bible, he thought. He never read it, but he came to me one day and he said, Mr. Hotch, you know, I, I really, really, I'm getting so much out of church, I've got it all figured out now. And I said, great, what, what, what did you figure out, Bradder? He says, well, I figured out that Moses, you know, God got really mad and he told Moses to build this ark, <laughs> right? And then, uh, and then it, it, it started to rain, but before it could rain, Jesus Christ came back and saved the whole world and then got animals living together and, and lions and tigers and everything else, and they were all cool. Well, you know, sometimes a little bit of knowledge can get you a long way, Amen. I want to talk to you today about what is it really, what is really true religion? You know, we all talk about being religious, and I like to tell people, I really don't like religion. You know, religion is one of those things that somehow gets everybody mad at each other. Have you ever noticed that? We got studies of world religions while we try to teach everybody about everybody's religion and how they're going to get along. And yet at the same time, isn't it funny that religion, sometimes when you bring it up, it becomes controversial, it becomes divisive. When, when you think of religion, what comes to your mind? Maybe it's a, a good or a bad experience you had as a child. Maybe it's a stained glass window or, a, or an organ. Well, you know, whatever comes to your mind. Maybe it's somebody that was really kind, or maybe it's somebody that you kind of view as kind of sacred. Maybe it's a garb that somebody wears, uh, the way that the, the, they walk or the way they talk or whatever it is. But what goes through your mind? You see, religion is the idea that I have to somehow please God. And when I please him or when I do enough for him, then that God somehow loves me and gives me a shot into heaven. I mean, how many jokes have we heard about somebody showing up at the pearly gate, meeting Peter, and Peter's got some kind of a, uh, an exercise for them to do before they get in? Here's what I want you to know. I want you to think about it like this. Number one, you can be religious and not know God. You can be religious 
and not know God. So you can go through all the motions of religion in the, in the sense that you can, you can go to church, you can get baptized, you can go through all kinds of rituals and really not know God. Another thing that I want you to think of is you can be good and not know God. Human goodness is a good quality all of us should possess and, and demonstrate in our life, but you can be good and not know God. You can also be sincere and not know God. You know, sincerity is an important thing, but it doesn't necessarily bring you to that place of understanding Christ unless you really come to know him. Well, in our story today, the story of Cain and Abel, which is really interesting that it falls on this week because actually this is the first Mother's Day for Eve. And it talks about this motherhood of, of this woman named Eve who has now gone through this experience of the, in the Garden of Eden, and she now becomes the mother of Cain and Abel. And so we're going to pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore this time his brother, Abel. And it's interesting, his word, his name really means just breath or vapor. It's the idea that he wasn't going to be there long. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. Now, that's really important. We kind of highlight that word sheep because we, we know that Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But Cain, it says, was a tiller of the ground. So we've got one who is a shepherd of sheep, and we've got one who is a farmer. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now, you know, sibling rivalry is a kind of a crazy thing. I, I'm an only child, so I don't really have that kind of experience personally, but I watch it in the life of families. I watch it in, my, in the life of my kids as they were growing up. I remember one time I went downstairs and they just had shorts on, just gym shorts on, and they were red, they were scratched up, they were beaten, they were mad, they were breathing hard, you know, the, the veins were sticking out of their neck, and, I, and they had just been beating the tar out of each other. They were about six and seven years old. They're only 15 months apart. Just beating the tar out of each other. And I don't know what the issue was, and I goes, what's going on? And they're just mad. They're so mad they can't even talk. And, I, and if you've, you've had boys growing up, you know that experience. It's kind of like one of those things where you really don't want them to do that, but you kind of enjoy a little bit of the ruckus going on once in a while. And I said to him, I said, what was the prize? And they go, what? I go, yeah, was, well, I mean, was there a trophy? Was it money? You know, was it a trip around the world? What was the prize? They look at each other like, I'm stupid. And I go, no, seriously, what did you win and who won? Well, there was no prize, and we don't know who won because you broke it up before we could finish it. You know, and I was kind of tempted to say, well, finish it off. Let's see what we can get out of this deal, right? But, you know, you can imagine what happens here. Here is Abel comes, and he offers an offering unto the Lord, and God says, I like your offering. Cain comes, and he offers something unto the Lord, and God says, I don't like your offering. Seems a little unfair, doesn't it? And yet there's more to this story that we have to understand. Let's kind of read a little bit further and see. He says in verse 5 that he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain went away very angry, and his countenance fell. 
Why, God, don't you like what I bring you? Or did he know what God wanted and refused to bring it? See, we don't know some parts of this story. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin lies at the door and its desires for you, but you should rule or have dominion over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So not only do we have this first motherhood kind of experience and Mother's Day, but we also have the tragedy of loss within this household. And we look at that story and we think, well, how did that happen? It all happened really over something that was, you know, seemingly pretty simple. I mean, I bring an offering, you bring an offering. What's wrong with my offering, God? You see, the Bible teaches this, that sin brings death to us. And death means separation, separation from God. And God said the only price that can be paid for that sin is death. Jesus is called the Lamb of God, and he died on a cross for you and for me. He paid the price. When Abel brought the firstling of his flock, when he brought that lamb and he sacrificed it, it was a picture of the coming Lamb of God who would die on Calvary's tree for you and for me. Cain said, forget that, I'm going to bring something different unto God. And what he was really doing was he was practicing false religion, not true religion. I want to talk to you a little bit about your heart today, my heart, your heart, and how our heart kind of works. I, I think one of the things that we can have, and I'm just going to kind of symbolize as a half a heart, is we can have a religious heart. And we can have a heart that is, is just really really likes God or likes church or goes through the motions, but, but somehow it really has never been fulfilled. There's something missing here in this religious heart. And people try to find fulfillment in religion because there's a, there's a hunger for God. There's another kind of heart you can have, and we're just going to kind of illustrate it like this, is a, is a broken heart, a broken heart. And then a third kind of heart, as I want to talk to you about, is really a new heart. Okay? And this is a kind of heart that really has a love for God. So when you think about those three kinds of hearts, let me just kind of attach a scripture to each one of those so you can kind of get an idea of it. We're going we're gonna to use the scripture from, uh, that we read today about Cain, and that was a religious heart. But we can also have a heart here that, that is kind of a reasoning kind of a heart. We, we go through these motions of reason, and we try to, try to kind of figure God out. And we think we understand God, and maybe we read a lot, but listen to what the Bible says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, when I trust my understanding or my reason or my mind, I don't connect with God. But then that, that third kind of heart, and that's the one we want to talk about today uh, mostly, is what it would it be like to have a new heart, a new heart. It says in the book of Ezekiel this, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. What if you could have a new heart that would love God? What would, what would happen if you could have a new heart that would, when you read the Bible, you understood what God was saying, and you felt like God was speaking to you? Sometimes I'll say something like this in a, in a group of people. I'll say, you know, I really felt like the Lord spoke to me. 
And I know everything, everything in, the, in the world goes through a person's mind. They think, well, was there an audible voice? Did, God, did you hear God's voice? I've never heard the audible voice of God. And they'll say, well, what do you mean? I, well, sometimes I mean I'm reading the Bible, and I just I had this, this sense in my heart that God was saying, Phil, that's for you. Sometimes when I'm praying and, I, and I'm asking God, God, will you speak to me? And I have this sense that God is speaking to me. And that's what I mean by hearing from God or listening to God speak. So let's talk about true religion. And let's talk about, first of all, the right God. You know, if you've ever studied world religion in class in a, in a, in a university or in a, in a high school, you know that there's really never a position that is taken. And all religions are kind of cast as the same way, and they all kind of look the same way, and they just have different practices. But the idea is everybody's trying to get to the same place, and so everybody's probably going to get there, and it's all going to be cool. It's kind of like a, a wagon wheel, and all the spokes are going to lead to God to the center finally. But I want you to listen to what Jesus Christ said. Because Jesus Christ took a little bit different position than a world religion class would in high school and college. This is what he said. I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So what did Jesus do? He claimed this exclusivity to, to the Father. He said, there is no other way. I am the way. Without me, there is no going. I am the truth. Without me, there is no knowing. And I am the life. And without me, there is no living. And what, what, what really kind of sometimes gets under our skin is how can he claim to be exclusive? There was a, an Oxford scholar by the name of C.S. Lewis, and he, he began to examine the claims of Christ, trying to understand, can Christ really be who he is? Did he rise from the dead? Can he, can he claim to be who he is? And he came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ had to be Lord because he went through a process, and he said uh, he would ask himself and ask others this question, was Jesus a good man? And almost everybody would affirm, yes, he appears to be a good man. Would a good man lie to you? Would Jesus claim to be who he was and lie to you? And you see, we come to this grips that, that he came to this place. He said, well, maybe he, wasn't, maybe he wasn't a good man. Maybe he was crazy. Maybe there was something wrong with him. And he came to the point where he said he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. That is exactly who he said he was because he can't be a good man and claim to be the only way to God. And the thing that was, was bothering Cain was this idea that, well, why, why do I have to go the way God says I have to go? Why can't I go to God my own way? Isn't God just pleased that I'm religious? Isn't God just pleased that I'm trying to do something good? God is very specific, and he said, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth. Robert Murray McShaney, a Scottish preacher from well over 100 years ago, said this, How many worlds would every lost soul in hell give for just one chance to go back and cleave to the blood of Jesus? The reason I take salvation so serious, the reason I got choked up thinking about Musana, is I realize what it means to be separated from God. Can there be a point of no return? I've, I've stood by the, by the bedside of those who are dying and heard them confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have in the Bible that story of, of the thief on the cross who in his last moments cried out, you know, you know, save me or help me into your paradise. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gave him a promise even in that last moment. 
Is there a deadline where, where we, we cross over and we can't? It's only death. The Bible teaches that no one will be saved after death. That salvation is something that has to happen before we die. There is a time I know not when. There is a place I know not where. That marks the destiny of men to heaven or despair. There is a line by us not seen which crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. True religion is finding Jesus Christ. It is coming to know who he is. It is, it is understanding that true religion is also the right sacrifice. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. You know what righteousness means as a person? It doesn't mean you always do right. It means that God in his grace looks at you through the blood of Jesus Christ and says you are righteous, you are forgiven, your sins are gone. That I don't hold that guilt against you, I don't hold that sin against you, that you have been brought back out of bondage and into life. It goes on to say that God testifying of his gifts, and though he be being dead still speaks. Abel's life still speaks to us because it's a life about salvation. It's a life about truth. You know, it's interesting because in the story of Cain and Abel, we have something that, that kind of we can all relate to, I'm sure, from one time or another, and that's the idea that Cain got so mad. He was so angry with his brother. And what you have to understand is there's something that, that happens in men. I, I gave this talk to the men, and they thought it was so helpful. I want to just kind of give you this, walk you through this. Every one of us has legitimate needs in our life. You have a need, for example, to be accepted, and you have a need to be loved. You have a need for a relationship. We were created for a relationship. We have all these needs in our life that are legitimate. And sometimes we, what we do is we try to get them met in an illegitimate way. I heard a story about a little boy who was, parents were having a, have, having a party there at their house. The little boy kept coming up and he kept grabbing his dad's uh, pant leg. He says, dad, dad. And the, the, the father's trying to, trying to talk and finish the conversation. He said, son, I'll be with you in just a minute. Uh, just give me a minute. And dad, dad, dad. And we've all had those experiences, right? Dad, dad, dad. And finally the dad says, why don't you get a little cup of punch, come back, and then talk to me. That, that way I'll have time to finish this conversation. So the little boy walks over to the punch bowl. Instead of grabbing a cup, he grabs the lip of it, and he flips it upside down, and the punch goes all over the floor. He had a need. What was the need? The need was to connect with his father. Can I ask you something? Did he connect? He connected, didn't he? Father runs over, goes, what are you doing? Why did you do that? He really doesn't know how to articulate what and why he did that, but here's what was really going on. I need you right now, and I, need, I can't wait, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a scenario whereby you come immediately to my side. So what happens is if we don't get a need met in our life, we just kind of cross that through, it leads to frustration in our life. So we get frustrated. Think about frustration like a block goal. You're trying to go somewhere, you're running late, and all of a sudden they've got a detour. It's a block goal. It's a frustration in your life. And when that happens, if you, if you can't get through that and that frustration doesn't get dealt with, then what happens is the next thing that comes in your life is anger. 
I can't believe this. I can't believe the detour. What are they doing with a detour? You know, I, surely they can let one car through and anger begins to build up. And this is what was going on in Cain's life. He had a need. He really wanted to be accepted by God, but he was going about it the wrong way. He got frustrated. Finally, he got angry. And the Bible says that anger can lead to bitterness and it can lead to hate. Now, these are, these are really strong words, aren't they? And we don't ever want to get to this place, but I want you to see something really simple. It really started with something as simple as just a need, an unmet need in his life. He didn't know how to deal with it, so he progressed through this. Now, let me show you something else, because sometimes when anger comes in our life, especially in the life of men, what we do is we think we, we get a verse, right? I got to go get a verse. I got to get a verse, got to memorize a verse. I got to get a handle on this thing, okay? And then it doesn't seem to work. Have you, ever, have you ever been around somebody that could just get mad like that, just really quick mad, right? Anybody like that in here, huh? No, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? All of us, right? They all have times where we get a little bit mad, okay? Did you know there's not just a spiritual dimension to that? That could be secondary. The primary thing could be physiological. Dr. Archibald Hart, a uh, number of years ago, was studying adrenaline and stress and how it related to heart attacks, and how many remember the mood rings? Remember the little mood rings? You put the ring on, and then you go, do you love Bobby? And, you know, all of a sudden the ring turns purple, and you go, oh, yeah, see, I love Bobby, right? <laughs> anyway, you don't, you don't know what's going on there, but what's happening is your body temper, te- temperature is changing, and all of a sudden whenever you say something that kind of gets the adrenaline pumping, you go, and oh, wow. Well, Dr. Archibald Hart found out that he could develop a patch for people who were in high-stress situations, he put it on their wrist, and as they're working, they didn't know their adrenaline was driving them into a position of stress or anger until they looked out the wrist. They say, wait, wait a minute here. I'm stressed out, didn't even know it. Okay? So he began to study adrenaline in the body, and here's what he found out. He found out that the most addictive narcotic in your body that you can put in your body is adrenaline. And you actually get so addicted to it that you stay many times on an adrenaline high. So let me illustrate it like this. Let's suppose right now those doors flew open and a gorilla came in here, an angry gorilla came in here. All right, you got it? Got the scene? Angry gorilla runs up here. Your mind says what? Angry gorillas are bad for people and they don't belong in church. (laughs) Right? Am I right? So what do you do? You say, where are those exit signs? And at that point, you really don't care about your mother you brought for Mother's Day. (laughs) Mom is staying where she is. I'm out of here. She's lived a good life. God bless her. And out the door you go, right? You're out of town, okay? And all of a sudden, right when that gorilla gets up here, jumps up on stage, some of you still trying to cram to get out, the gorilla reaches up, takes his head off, and it's John Ketchum, our worship pastor, in a gorilla suit. (laughs) Uh, Granted, it's the screeniest gorilla you've ever seen. But anyway, he takes this this gorilla hat off, and what happens? Okay, now here's how Hart said. You've got two gauges. You've got the intellectual gauge that says, angry gorillas are bad for people. They don't belong in church, and my mother is fine here with him. The gauge goes up like this, right? The other gauge is your emotional gauge, and so that's adrenaline. It peaks out like this. The gorilla takes his head off, and, you, and all of a sudden you realize it's John in a gorilla suit, and the, the intellectual gauge goes bottoms out like this immediately. And then you say, John, I can't believe you did that, and then everybody wants to go beat up John. <laughs> right? But your emotional gauge, it's peaked out like this, does not do the same way. It doesn't come back down. 
it begins to slowly move, and Archibald Hart found out that that gauge can actually take up to 48 hours to bottom back out if there's no new stimulus. In other words, if you get on the 91, (laughs) you follow me? So the gauge starts to come down, and all of a sudden, something happens. Something makes you mad. You don't have to go from here to here. You only have to go from here to here, from here to here. And if you begin to understand something, not only about the spiritual dimension, but also about the physical dimension of how God made us. Adrenaline is helpful, but not helpful all the time. Cain was not able to deal with that. So what happened, something that was an easy, legitimate need began to move through some processes here. And really, he just had to go back to this point here. How do I get this need met in my life? And I ask you the same question in your own life. When those things begin to happen in your life, you have to say, wait a minute, let me go back, figure out where the gauges are. You can literally just kind of take a piece of paper and daily put on there and say, where are the gauges? How am I doing? Am I, am I, am I really just kind of bottomed out here? Do I feel really relaxed? You know, Jesus said it like this, come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and learn of me, take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest for your souls, for your souls. It's almost relaxing just to hear that, isn't it? Come unto Jesus. It's interesting about that scripture. He doesn't say, I'm coming to you with that message. He says, you come to me. You come to me. Let me show you something else about true religion. Takes the right decision. Takes the right decision. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is broad, and the way is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. A poet once wrote, the saddest words of tongue or pen are what might have been. There's a narrow gate that leads to life. The Bible says, few there be that find it. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. We have this picture of, 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 a, of a heart there, and, and we just say, Jesus, say, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. And your heart might be a religious heart. It might be a reasoning heart, but I want to give you a new heart. He said, if anyone hears my voice and opens that door, he doesn't push himself into our life. He says, if you would open that door, I would come in and I would fellowship with you. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says this, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, that's true religion. Do you know that you don't have to clean up your act to come to faith in Christ? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to go to church every week. You don't have to get baptized. What you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great promise, isn't it? Salvation is not about us. It's all about God's love. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. We have to receive God's love. When God reaches out his love to us, just say, God, I want to receive that love in my life. We also have to accept that love in the sense that accept him as our Savior and our Lord. The first man I ever remember praying with a prayer of salvation, you may have heard this story. He was 95 years old. His name was Martin Young. Martin Young lived on a little, little, uh, a little farm down in just outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. His friend had been going to talk to him about Christ for over 50 years. He looked at me and he said, Preacher, we're going to go pray with Martin and you're going to lead him to Jesus Christ. And I, I said, how long have you been talking to this guy? 
50 years? What am I going to say? I wrote out the best I could remember what I said to Martin that day and how we prayed. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now, and I'm going to ask you to consider praying a prayer that Martin prayed that day, that I've seen really, really hundreds of people pray over the years. It's not that the prayer is special in the sense that it's, you know, got any, any magical power to it. The prayer is simply an invitation to know God, to call out unto God. And sometimes when you, you know, you pick up the Bible, it's kind of big, and you go, where do I start? You start with a really simple faith in Jesus Christ. This prayer only becomes powerful in you if you put faith with it. You attach your faith and say, I believe that. I want to receive that. So we're going to put this prayer up on the screen, and I'm just going to ask you. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it quietly. You can, you can just read it and just listen and contemplate on it. But I, I want to pray this prayer with you, and then I'm going to give you an invitation to receive Christ. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead to give me the gift of salvation. I now invite you to come into my heart and life. I trust you as my Savior. And I want to follow you as my Lord. In Jesus' name. Oh, it's just to bow our heads together here for a moment. Some of you read that. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard anything quite like that. I'm sure everybody here has prayed. I'm sure most people here have, have thought about what salvation would be and what it would mean and how that would actually take place in your life. I want to invite you right now to make this your prayer. With our heads bowed, I'm just going to pray it one more time, and I'm going to ask you to now repeat it if that's your faith goes like this I know that I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness I believe that you died for my sins and I want to turn from my sins I believe you rose from the dead to give me the gift of salvation I now invite you to come into my heart and life I trust you as my savior and I want to follow you as my lord in Jesus name now, while we just kind of remain here with our heads bowed for a moment, if that was your prayer today, in your own words, would you just thank him? Right where you stand or sit, would you just thank him? might be something as simple as this. Jesus, I believe what I just prayed, and I just want to thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. If that was your prayer today, I'm going to ask you to just look at me today. Just look at me. Just God bless you and just... All over this room. If that was your prayer today, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. See, it's your faith. Bless you. Probably a dozen or so people have just lifted their, fa their face and said, that was my prayer today. I want to tell you that on the authority of the word of God, God answered your prayer. God saved you. God put a seal of love on you. And you're forever his child. Walk with him. Walk in his love. Know his forgiveness. Know that God gave you a new heart. You may have come in here today with a religious heart. You may have come in here with a heart of a reasoning kind of heart. But you're going to leave here today with a brand new heart from God. 
Father, I want to thank you, God, for every person here. Thank you, God, for this, this great day that we remember and we celebrate uh, motherhood and what that means to each one of us, Father. We are grateful, God, that, that we came into this world in such a way that we had an opportunity to find you and to know you and to love you. And I pray, God, for every single person here and their families, their extended families, God, that, that the fullness and the power and the grace of God might be on them all. God, for these little children that we dedicated today, God, that they would grow up in the nurture of the Lord and they would know the love of God. And God, that it wouldn't be religion, it would be Jesus. It wouldn't be ritual, it would be faith. God, be with us and guide us individually, Father, as we seek you with all of our heart and all of our mind. And now I bless you with these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be glorious to you, and in all his ways, may you find his favor. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and may you know his joy. May you go out today with a smile on your face and hope in your heart and a joy you can give to somebody else. In the great name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day to you, and I pray that you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, if, if you get in trouble about the grandmother thing, it's all, in, all on you. Amen? All right. God bless you. Have a good day.